And then we also see this cultural diversity that's embraced. It's in the it's in the book of Revelation where there's people from every tribe and tongue. Like being a Christian does not erase your cultural identity. Welcome to the Resilient Faith at Work podcast, where you will find and apply God's wisdom to your work. I'm Dr. Chip Roper, and I'm joined by Ken Kennard and Sarah Evers. We aim to inspire, challenge, and equip you to follow Jesus in the vocational dimension of your life. As we begin this episode, I want to thank our generous donors who make this podcast possible. We are grateful for your support. Voca funders sign up to change lives by changing work. And if you like this content and want to partner with us to reach more workers, invest in Voca. Just go to vocacenter.org give and join us today. A couple years ago, I figured out how to print a photo on the envelope of our card. And since I've done that, I think the company's trying to figure out how to stop me from figuring out my workaround because every year it gets harder and harder to do. So this could be the last year I get to print a photograph on the envelope. What company, what company is it? Yeah. I don't want to say? say it. I don't want to say way. it. You have to say it. Oh, I'll text it to you guys later. Oh, man. That, <laughs> that's so funny. But I, yeah. I've been using them for years, and I really like the work that they do. So what do, you, I like what do you have them do? Do you have them actually, they print your envelopes, they print your cards, too? Yeah, they print the envelopes, they print the cards. Uh, I get our, um, our address printed on the back, so I don't have to use my little stamper to stamp them all. I like to handwrite the addresses on the yes. envelopes. I know that's that not a lot of people do that anymore and you do what works for you. But for me, I love going through my list and being like, oh, I love them. Oh, I hope they're doing great. Like for me, there's this, this personal connection with that person or that family when I write their address on. And because I'm not on social media anymore, I can't wait for people to send me their cards and their letters and and if somebody skips a year, I'm like, oh, and then I get really excited when I see the, the one come in for the, the following year. But man, my favorite seasons of the year are Advent season and Christmas card season. N- nice. They're kind of the same. Yeah. No, they're not for me. Uh, well, apparently. <laughs> wow, you do your Christmas oh, cards in July? You're that much of a J? <laughs> no, no. And uh, part Advent of the is the why... season before Christmas. So that's when you send out your Christmas cards. The way that I experience those seasons are different. Like every morning we light the Advent candle and we do a reading over breakfast. Uh, And we do that as a family together. And Christmas card season, uh, every night we get the mail. And at the end of the day, we're ripping open the Christmas cards and reading about people's updates and putting them in our card holder. So there's a morning routine and an evening routine in the Evers household. I understand. I understand. My favorite thing is to have Shauna write the addresses on the Christmas cards. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Doesn't gosh, look like that's, that's her favorite thing to do. I don't write the addresses. I print those out. I make it efficient, baby. Do you really? <laughs> oh yeah. Good for you. I, I probably shouldn't say. I guess I probably shouldn't say that as I'm filling out the cards right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, any other holiday vignettes that you guys want to share? Well, this week has been Spirit Week for my daughter at her school. 
the first day was festive socks day. And then Tuesday was festive hat and headbands day. Yesterday was mad for plaid day. Today is holiday sweater day. And tomorrow is the perennial favorite pajama day. Wow. And how is that for you as a mom when she's doing that stuff? Oh, it's really fun. And I may have pushed things a little too far because I started Googling really festive hairstyles to figure out, could we do some fun braids? Could we do a Cindy Lou Who wackadoo hairstyle? Uh, And my daughter was really happy to simply wear a headband with Santa Claus on it. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I perhaps got a little too into it. You have too much spirit, Sarah? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) I've got spirit. Yes, I do. I've got spirit. How about you? (laughs) <laughs> Ken, what are you doing for Spirit Week? Uh, I'm practicing the piano because my friend, a sax player, and I are going to be performing intro and exit music for the church on Christmas Eve, the five Christmas Eve services. Um, so I've been, oh, wow. I've been woodshedding wow. in the practice room trying to work on my 13th chords and flat ninth chords and all the jazz jazz chords that come with these arrangements that uh, my partner wants to do. So it'll be a lot of fun. That's great. Very it cool. sounds like a really fun day. It also sounds like a long day. <laughs> yes, it's a Five long services. day. Yeah. I hope they have a lovely green room. <laughs> right. Yeah. They have a lovely green room on a document for the new church that's going to be built in the future. <laughs> <laughs> The new green room is coming, but for now, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for now, it's not so not so uh, lush. That's funny, but that's okay. I'm not there for the green room. Oh, that's such a lovely sentiment. Well, Chip, what's happening in the uh, the the Roper sphere? What are we doing? We're, we're working all the time so that we can be off. Um, we go to Philly tomorrow, which will start our Christmasing. And, um, yeah, so, although we did go out last night in the city and we went to Hudson Yards where we haven't been in a while and it's just, I love being there. It's crazy. And like, it's, it's really, you know, it's decked out for Christmas. It's beautiful. Um, and it's just crazy how here anyway, like you. You go, like, there's all these restaurants in Hudson Yards, and you go in there, they're totally jammed, and there's all these people. And then you go somewhere else in the city, and there's all these people in restaurants, and it's just, I don't know. So, which, going to restaurants is one of my favorite things. So, um, so yeah, we just, we went out, got a little time out last night, and that was fun. So, all right, guys, we are going to jump into our latest epi- episode of the Overrated series. So, we did a series of, of conversations about things that, are overrated as part of our resilient faith at work podcast. And, you know, this is my chance to be sarcastic officially, which I particularly like you say it's snarky, Sarah, but it's all right. Did Um, you need, did you need permission for that chip? No, not really. Um, But I think there's a, I think there's like, these are ideas, they're phrases often that get thrown around that are like almost true. They're almost helpful. Uh, But they, they, they tease up an idea that's actually needs a little bit more complex thinking, a little bit more thorough reflection uh, for for us to get to something that's actually worth passing around. And the idea that I want to poke fun at today and to to toss around with you both is the idea that 
bringing your whole self to work is actually overrated. And I'm curious about your initial reactions, just even just as to the heading. So my initial reaction is that I have heard the phrase bringing your whole self to work used in two different contexts. The first time it came up was maybe 15 years ago where the sentiment was you you hire someone to do a job and then lo and behold, they bring their whole self to work. And when it's used that way, it's like they have emotions, they're complex, they have family issues. They're human they, beings. They're, they're actual human beings, not just workers who are just getting the job done and don't say anything else about anything else. And they're just very, they're almost like machines, right? They're not machines. They bring their whole self to work. You actually hired a human. That's the first time I heard that phrase. Now, the second time I've heard it, it seems to have morphed to something different. And I'm curious if you guys, if this is the meaning we're talking about, where instead of just being a human being as the meaning, now when people talk about bringing their whole self to work, it's like, I have expectations and requirements of my job, my workplace, that it's going to be really fulfilling. Like it's going to be the place where all my needs are met. It's going to be the place where I can be my true self and just complain or, you know, get 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 out my my true feelings. Right. That it, it's, it's almost like a sense of entitlement and expectation that work be way more than just a place to be productive. And I don't know if that's a shift that I've perceived or just me or if others have perceived it and, and which one of those two you're you're referring to. I do take a little bit of umbrage when I hear the word entitled. I think that's, um, you know, that's one of those like infl inflammatory words. Uh, but I but I would, there's nuances in what you said that I can wholeheartedly get around. Um, and, I, and for the sake of our conversation today, I think it's good to have a little bit of um inflammatory conversation that, you know, there, there is bringing your whole self to work. There's a lot of parts of that that I can get behind. Um, and I think the way you interpret whole, <laughs> it, 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 it makes a big difference here. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking of it probably more in the second, second way, Ken, that you described it. And, um, and again, like with all of these, what's tricky about these underrated or overrated, they're overrated. Um, these overrated topics is there is some truth in them. It's just not that they're they're just not a hundred percent true, and um, so I think of it as like I'm not only I don't not only do I want you to treat me like a human being, I want you to validate everything I care about outside of work. Mm. And it's what's interesting is that I've heard lots of different uh, minority communities want they want to say I want to bring my whole self to work, so I should be allowed to dress and and act, you know, use vocabulary, whatever it is. I hear Christians using this. Their Christians are demanding, quote, I want to bring my whole self to work. So it's really interesting that all these groups are, that are defined as a, like a minority population, including Christians, are saying, I want to bring my whole self to work. So that's, that's kind of like the technical thing that I've observed. I've heard it a lot. Um, but then there's Senator Fetterman from Pennsylvania who wore shorts and a hoodie to the United States Senate. And the Senate has a jet dress code. And because his colleagues are so nice, uh, they changed the rules and they canceled the dress code for like a week. And then there was such an uproar uh, 
that they changed it back, which I think is just this, like, it tells that we just don't really know what to do with all this. Is it, is it, you know, is it embracing Senators Fetterman's humanity to let him wear his shorts and sweaty, you know, hoodie to the, to the Senate floor? Or is, are we losing something about what the Senate's about and, you know, all that kind of thing. So it's just like a, I think there's a lot of tension actually around this in our, mm-hmm. in our culture, in our working culture today. Yeah, and it, it brings up the question, what am I entitled to? That that word entitlement, I agree with Sarah. It's kind of it's really kind of loaded, right? But but it, it it's like it's like the word authentic. Um, what am I entitled to and what am I not entitled to at work? Are there any limits to what I'm entitled to do? And what happens with the dress code example is the group says, you're entitled to wear whatever you want but it has to be within these boundaries in this context for a particular reason. So we're limiting self-expression. We're limiting what you're entitled to for, for a reason, right? That that's the rule and for a purpose. Um, is the same thing true in the workplace? Are there, are there things I just shouldn't be allowed to do or say or wear in the workplace? Or is, are there no limits to my freedom at work? And, and who cares how you feel about it? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, we have a client that just uh, just stopped requiring men to wear ties um, in the last six months. Um, so it's kind of an interesting. It's just an interest. It's a there's a lot of lot of com- I think complexity slash confusion around what this what this means. Well, before we kind of get into the maybe the the false side of this idea, let's talk a little bit more. Like Sarah, you said earlier. There's things about this that you like, this idea of bringing your whole self. Let's talk about what's true in it or what's valuable in the sentiment to bring your whole self to work. I think part of what's really good about this is that we're acknowledging that people have lives outside of their work hours and they have interests and um, responsibilities outside of what it is that they're doing, the results that they're required to bring. And so I think that allows for some compassion, a sense of humanity. And it allows for a greater connection with the people at work because we find those things where we have things in common. Yes. And, and not only, I agree with you, Sarah, not only do we have lives outside of work, but even when we're in work, because we have different wiring, different personalities, different values, even in the context. So I've, I've been a part of groups where someone's really talkative or someone's really not talkative or someone's really expressive and someone's really reserved. And are, are, are we going to make rules about how reserved or not, you know, you could be, or do we just allow people to bring a diversity of personality and expression and preference to work because we think that that diversity is actually good for the workplace or for productivity or just for being human? Yeah. And there's studies that have been done on this. We don't, well, we, we could say there's studies, right. And by, you know, from McKinsey on down that diverse teams outperform homogenous teams. So there's a, sort of business case, organizational case, performance case. But then, you know, we go to scripture, we see a diversity of gifts, the body of Christ idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then we also see this cultural diversity that's embraced. It's in the it's in the book of Revelation where there's people from every tribe and tongue. Like being a Christian does not erase your cultural identity, uh, which some people may not, maybe, maybe they don't think it does, but it really, it doesn't it doesn't erase your cultural identity. It actually validates it and says there's value, you know, there's, there's value in it. It's part of, part of how God is glorified is through diversity. And, um, 
so so that's that's part of it i think that's that's really it's legit right and the, and when you guys were talking to, go ahead sarah well and you know you just talked about how research shows that diverse teams are uh, outperform teams that are similar and scripture celebrating this this idea of differences uh, bringing us together there's also the fact that when you have so many differences when you get to understand each other better you're building trust and focusing not just on similarities, but even the things that make you different, that helps build trust. And as we know, trust is the oil or the grease in the engine of, of business. And so to move things forward, for teams to go to go faster together, they need that element of trust. I want to know if it's the oil or the grease. Which one is it? Mm. I, I don't know. I don't know machinery well enough to know which is really good. So I, every time I talk about it, I'm like, it's the oil or is it the grease? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we need to get a we need to get a mechanic on the show and figure that out. Is um, it the bacon grease in my in the in the chefery? Bacon grease it... smells really good, but um, I don't know of how useful it is. Um, but the other thing that you guys said, I think that's important, is that the idea of you know that we have lives outside of work, and our lives outside of work are impacting us when we show up at work. And if somebody on your team has just had a is in the midst of a terrible tragedy that's going to impact them at work. And I think sometimes we do over index on that. We think, Oh, well, I don't want to ask them about that because it's work or because I'm afraid I'm going to have to spend my whole day uh, holding their hand or and they're going to be crying on my shoulder. And a lot of times I think it just is, it's a trust builder to just acknowledge that, to create a little bit of space to let that out. And I'll, at least in my experience, people who are undergoing some kind of big challenge or, they're in the process of grieving something, some loss. It actually, they want two things. They want to know that they want that to be acknowledged and they want to focus on their work because that actually helps them heal in a way or cope. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I actually had an experience where someone was going through a difficult time and I found myself tempted to make assumptions about how he was going to be at work. Mm. And oh, he's probably going to be like this. He's probably going to be like that, or you know, whatever. But when I approached him and said so, with a very open question, like, "So, how's that affecting you today?" Uh, without making any assumptions in my statement, what he said was actually counterintuitive to what I was thinking. And he said, "I'm really excited to be here because I really just need to focus on something else right now, and mm -hmm. I can't wait to be productive at work." And I was like, "Wow, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's you do you." I think of my wife, Audrey, who went through cancer treatment a few years ago. And um, on chemo day, she really couldn't go to work. She was totally wiped out. But she really wanted to go. She The next day, mm -hmm. she was at work. And, um, you know, people would always, were, her her team, the people she works with are really awesome people. And they would always be, how you doing, that kind of thing. But she was, she was really important for her to get get up, to get dressed to commute to the office and to be productive and to use those God-given capacities. I was part of what helped her, helped us really, but her cope cope with it. And, um, you know, we don't really think, we often think of work as this thing, oh, we have to do it, but it's like we're made to work. And it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual and psychologically uh, empowering experience to be able to work even when you're under duress. And so this is this combination of, you know, being able to be honest, you know, I've got a chemo bag on my hip, you know, and I'm, and, and I can't, I can't 
put my hands in the office refrigerator. Like there's all this crazy stuff that she had to deal with. She's such a trooper. Um, but she also wanted to do her job. Yeah. And she did. You know, I, I learned early on in my coaching career about the importance of connecting with people as people and not just diving into work. So I had a, I had a call with a client and we had a great discovery call. And at the end, uh, when I was firming up commitments, Hey, how, how confident are you that you'll be able to pull this off this week? The person said, well, not very, because they just had a, a family issue come up and he wasn't going to be in the office the next week. And I, I we could have, I could have discovered that and not wasted an hour for both of us. If I had just said, Hey, what's happening or what's, what's new in your life. Mm-hmm. And that would have created space for him to bring this uh, difficult issue, um, yeah. Instead, we, we went off on a completely different trajectory that didn't create space for him to share a yeah. hard thing in his family. And there's a leadership lesson in there, too, because as leaders, we often think about productivity and efficiency and getting a lot out of our teams. And yet, what you just pointed to, Sarah, is that sometimes slowing down and checking in and seeing how the team is and what's going on could be more efficient because you could learn that the thing you were just about to spend an hour on is not worth spending an hour on. It's Sarah's favorite phrase. It's going to be the top. It's going to be the title of her book. What is it, Sarah? You have to slow. Slow down to go fast. Yeah, that's right. That's your favorite thing. And, and it's I didn't really... realize how much I said it until you started calling me out on it. No, I do. I think you should write it down in this book. But anyway, um, it's a... Uh, no, it's really true. And it's not lots of, I don't think that, I think that where we, we over index on this bit is we think, oh no, I can't let that kind of genie out of the bottle. It's going to take over everything, Pandora's box and that kind of thing. And it's really not, we're, we're not, we're talking about like people are, they're not just rational task completers, that they're emotional, that they have a, a relational world of that affects them. And if you just create a little bit of space for it, or sometimes, you know, it, we may not be talking to bosses right now. We may be talking to, if you're an employee, you need, you can still tee this up and just say, um, Hey, I'm just, I just had a, I'm having a rough day. I'm going to be a little slower today, but I'll, I'll get it done or something like that. And, and you're, you're introducing that, um, emotional relational reality into the context, which then helps everybody understand why you might be a little slow or to respond or to get some things done. And it, and it, cause we always want to fill in that why, when somebody doesn't live up to our expectations, and it's great if you're uh, have an, uh, a boss or a supervisor that pulls that out, that's a plus activity. Very few a plus acti- uh, a plus bosses out there, if you haven't noticed. So you can still do it as as the as the team member, and you can just give people a little cue um, that you're going through some stuff, and you you know it's it's impacting you a little bit, and. Thanks for the patience. I'm going to get it done, kind of thing. Like, at least that's what I that's what I think is a an, a sketch of a of a way to do that. What do you guys think? Yeah, and you you know what you sparked for me there, Chip, is that um, coming from the practice of creativity, where I, I work a lot, the the thing you want to do is also validate that whole person outside of work when they're going off and having these interesting experiences or doing these other things, whether it's in another culture, another space, another, you know, maybe you're not into rock, but they're into rock bands and they're going to concerts or things like that. What's happening is that they're bringing with them back to the team, a lot of diverse connections that are great for idea productivity and problem solving in the creative space. So if you're doing creative work with that team, your job as a leader is to even more encourage 
and validate the differences and the uniquenesses of those people and what they bring to the team because you're just making your creative workforce so much stronger by doing that. Hey, I have a question for you. How's your career going? Are you thriving in your current role or is it time for a change? The reason I ask is that we've helped hundreds of people navigate career transition and we can help you too with a program we call Career Navigator. We developed the program because job search is fraught with so much anxiety. Clients often report that it's stressful to make the switch and it's difficult to discern what direction to take. And there doesn't seem to be a clear path to move forward. With the Career Navigator, you get three things. Increased clarity, clear messaging about who you are and what you offer, and a plan that works. Our learning management system even has biblical wisdom on topics relevant to job search, including a unit on gratitude. So if you're thinking about getting some help with your job search, check out our Career Navigator coaching program at vocacenter.org slash career navigator. You don't have to do this alone we can help. That's vocacenter.org slash career navigator. It's great. I want to, I want to switch gears to why I don't think this is a hundred percent true, why it is overrated. Um, and some of it comes from Proverbs where it talks about some things like, uh, if you give full vent to your anger, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to create a mess. Um, that, if you say too much, like well, we're, I'm looking at one here, where words are many, transgression is not lacking. Like if you if you say if you disclose too much information, it almost always or talk too much, it's almost always going to lead to trouble. Uh, yeah, this is the fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Um, and so there's this there's a value in our culture. I think Charles Taylor calls it uh, expressive individualism, that like the highest level of authenticity, which happens to be Merriam-Webster's word of the year, authenticity, is um, letting it all hang out. Like you just say everything you think, you say everything you feel, and everybody around you, if it's if it's a bring your whole self to work kind of culture, they should just accept all that. And the first thing I, I, I feel about, I feel like that's f- foolish, you know, like, because even though, and this is another phrase that, that gets passed around a lot, even though people say no judgment, no judgment, that is a BS line. And I don't mean Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody judges each other. We're always evaluating each other's behavior. I mean, and it, you can do it in a very negative, like superior way. I'm not talking, but we always are evaluating each other. We're always judging whether or not, and you just see it on social media. Like you post something and then people attack you for it. You're being judged all the time. So, um, so there's a sense of just, this is just pragmatic tactics for office relationships. It's like, don't pay the dumb tax um, by giving people way more information than they actually need. You know, this is, we're so far, well, this is like way over, from, this is not like saying, you know, my mother just is, is, is seriously ill and I'm, I'm having a hard time focusing. We're not talking about that. We're talking, you know, it's like just sort of going off on long screeds about political issues or other things and just expecting everybody to, to embrace that. It's like, you know, that's not really and what. I'm just, I just, I'm just being authentic. I'm just bringing my full think self to work, work with all my I don't ideas think that's and works, opinions. Yeah, I don't think that's what work's about. So or here's the, the issue. Here's the issue that companies are having as they wrestle with this, because companies have been talking about bringing your full self to work for years. This isn't new. The challenge is what is appropriate. Yeah. 
That's the big issue. Bringing your full self to work doesn't mean I bring all of my rants with me. I need to think about what's appropriate, what's suitable for the circumstances that I'm in. And when is the right time to bring certain things into the conversation? Uh, so the, the level of appropriateness is, is the big debate. Yeah. And also on that debate, I'm seeing scales or levels or degrees of this, uh, this idea of inappropriate. Like at the first level, it's like, I just need to get this off my chest. So I'm going to dominate the conversation or take everyone's time. And I'm entitled to that because that's who I really am. Mm -hmm. Right. That's there's that entitlement word. You have to listen to me because I have to be my true self. I'm obligated to do that. But then another level on top of that is that you need to validate that you need to say it's okay. You need agree to kind with of it. agree with me, yeah. That that okay. And then another level on top of that is that my personal vendetta needs to be embedded into the company culture. <laughs> that we need a day celebrating the things that I value because that's the only way I can really bring my true self to work. So you see how we just keep, and I'm seeing evidences of all of those levels where it's just it seems like a slippery slope. Where do you stop? And when are we ever going to get any work done if we keep that up? Yeah, I think I think that's the bigger that's that's part of the question, right? It's like why what is the workplace for? And um, one of my favorite read of the year on a philosophical level is called Biblical Critical Theory by Christopher Watkin. It's a terrible title and an amazing an amazing book. Um, <laughs> uh, but he talks about how. Um, he talks about the decline of the third place or voice in Western culture, which was churches. It was community organizations like Lions Club or scouting and that kind of th stuff. Their enrollment and all those things is gone down, like engagement with all those things. Gone. And that then what fills in the, the, the slots or the, sand, the cracks, so to speak, is either there's one of two things. He says it's the state, which is government and politics, or it's the market, which is work. And so because we don't have like these vital community connections as much outside of work, we want more and more from our work. Mm -hmm. And it's it's putting a strain on especially larger companies because they're, the they're, you know, they're, they're the ones that have public companies receive more scrutiny and they uh, have theoretically more resources to create time for people to do this. But it's, it's taking away the focus from work becomes more of a social platform for me than a place of value creation. And that's the part of this I don't I don't like. I think it's it's um, as a as an employer um, you know, and we all actually work together uh, in various different definitions of relationship, but that's it's really good to know each other and to have a have a friendly you know, be friends colleagues kind of kind of relationship. I really value that a lot. And we have to get stuff done. Um, or as, as our friend David really says, we just part as friends, <laughs> you know, but we part because we're not delivering value and we're not being you know, we're not being paid. And so there's this, this like almost insulation from the reality of like what business and any organization, every organization, whether it's a business or a nonprofit educational institution has to produce results. And that's what the, that's what it's about. And, and, you know, Sarah, the way you just said it, it's like, I have a feeling that you feel it feels good. There's a lot of feels in there. It feels good to produce results. Yes. Like that's well, very satisfying. 
Right. So as you were talking, I just kept thinking um, that the the shift being my workplace needs to meet my needs, where it used to be my work is where I go to produce results, to and deliver outcomes, right? Yeah. To make a living. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna meet the expectations of my job. I'm gonna fulfill the duties of my job description and my job responsibilities in exchange for payment for that work. And I used to get my social and emotional needs met through my faith community and my, my neighborly community, the people who live near me and the community that I've built. But with that falling apart, I'm now expecting a whole lot more from my workplace than ever before. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and when you add um, things like a pandemic, things like uh, stress and, and disruption in society, um, what you get, and I, I talked to a counselor this week about this, uh, she's really concerned for the young generation. I'm thinking of pe- people probably from the ages of 12 to 25 here. You um, sound really old the way you just said that, Ken. I just want you yes. to know that. The, well, youngsters. I, I, the, the youngsters. Sean is rolling her eyes. <laughs> the, look, look, I, I, I have, I, I'm a parent to the people in this generation, so um, I, I can call myself dad. old. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, but her concern was that what she's seeing in her counseling office is more and more young people, um, and uh, that there's a slang term for this snowflake, which is kind of like a a little bit derogatory, but it's, it's this idea that, that they have this, that they can't cope with reality. They're not resilient and it's being exacerbated by the sense of an entitlement an unwarranted sense of entitlement, like too much entitlement. And then they're stuck, right? Because they can't, they're not providing value anymore. They're not performing at school or work or or whatever it is. And they're overly, they're easily offended. When something happens, they don't just say, hey, that was a problem. They like, they put in a petition to like overthrow the government, right? That that kind of uh, overreacting. But that's feeding, if it's true, if she's right about that, then it's feeding sort of a cultural kind of cancer growing up every year. Um, until something works against that, until either reality hits them in the face or until they pick up some skills or, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is to that, but but that's those are the true selves coming into the workplace. I don't know what percentage it is, but um, that had her concerned. Interesting. So this is very macro, like what we're talking about right now. I, I'm going to bring this down to a little bit more practical considerations and things. Like in the case that you just shared, Ken, I think, you know, how do you, you're not going to, you, you know, we don't, none, most of, actually none of us really get to do like a, we're not going to affect like how Gen Z is experiencing work globally, but um, we are going to be able to affect the way the people we work with experience work. And um, I remember a conversation we had with Cheryl Batchelder. She was a former CEO of Popeye's and she talked about how a lot of the their talent pool at a, at a fast food chain restaurant, a lot of those folks hadn't had like a lo- long-term employment. It was their first job. And they realized they couldn't have a one strike and you're out rule, you know, and they started to understand that part of their mission was to help form workers because they had control of that. You know, they control about how they onboarded people and how they gave them feedback. And if they you know screwed up a couple of times, they, they could, they could, found it was actually better to run the risk of being gracious with them and giving them a couple tries to do some of the basic stuff because they just hadn't been shaped to do it. And I think that gets to your, okay, we have this big global thing and we've got a lot of anxiety. There's just a 
piece in the journal, Wall Street Journal, about Gen Z and anxiety, and that's what they're bringing to work. And it's, you know, we, it's in our resilience paradigm. Like, it, the way you become resilient and not controlled by your anxiety it ultimately is act. There's act, you have to act, you act your way through, you produce your way through. It's not the first thing, and there's a lot of other heart things and spiritual things, but ultimately you're going to act. And we need that experience of using our God-given talent to produce results that people recognize as valuable. That that alleviates some of our anxiety, and it gives us joy and endorphins. So we can't control that. Like, we can't control the market, you know, the, the economy or whatever, the culture, but we can control the experience that people who work with us have. Um, so I'm, I'm going to throw one more at you, and I think Sarah's really going to want to comment about this one. But um, uh, So you guys can comment on either one. But um, the other thing I was thinking about as we started talking about this idea of bringing your whole self to work is the shift that needs to take place in some workplaces from from the old boy network. And, oh, yeah, see, Sarah smiled right away, instantly. Um <laughs> And there's a whole like ultra dark side of the old boy network where unless you're a man, you're not going to get noticed or promoted. And there's going to be demeaning things said about female team members and stuff like that. And I, I don't, that's not what I mean. I think that's, that's totally out of bounds. That's not, and we can't say that those guys get to bring their whole selves to work, but, you know, cause they're, they're, they're sleazeball selves to work. No, thanks. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about, um, Shauna's laughing too. So, um, <laughs> I'm thinking about how, and we just went through this as a team. Like we were together as a team and we, we worked to think through some activities we could do together as a team to, for fun. And I think, you know, there's a lot of guys that in business that it's golf and cigars. And I've talked to a number of female colleagues, like they don't like that stuff. And so, you know, part of not bringing your whole self to work is for a culture that was dominated by activities that only say appeal to the men is to figure out how can we include everybody and how can we figure out um, some things we could do together as a team, for instance, that actually would connect with everybody. Um, now I was very excited that we settled on ax throwing um, and that Liz uh, got the best throw of, of the whole event, which was un unbelievable. But I'm just thinking that, you know, there's these big issues with bringing your whole self to work and there's all the cultural controversies and that kind of stuff. But at, at a granular level, um, we get into trouble actually when we let one group bring their whole selves to work and we don't find a way to be more inclusive you know, proactively inclusive, true pluralism with a focus on value creation. So I just throw a lot at you, but that's what jumped into my head. Yes. Sarah says yes. She's like, I don't know where I wanted to go with this. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm you not don't sure where to <laughs> You don't know where you can go with this. That's what you're saying. Like, can I say that? Can I say that? You mentioned the old boy network, and I'm like, yep, there's some changes there. I, yeah. I think there's you know, there's opportunity for everybody to grow here. I again, I think the issue comes down to what's appropriate, and when we when we see people as as people and not just work producers, we tend to have a little bit more compassion on them, and so mm -hmm. we might have a more ca compassionate response when we're planning something for the team to do together, and it might not just be what I love to do all the time. Uh, I might expand my horizons. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I went through a cigar smoking phase so that I could be in the room where it happens. 
but I hate smoking cigars. It's gross and that taste sticks in your mouth for days afterwards. And so, you know, I, I don't, I don't feel the pressure anymore to do what I don't think, what I don't want to do, but not We're gonna everybody. Have an episode. As, We're going to have an overrated episode on cigars. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I think there's also, there's this fear, depending on where you are in the corporate ladder, that if you don't do the thing that everybody else is doing, if you don't engage or go to that event, that you're going to miss out on opportunities. So there is an, a, a necessary aspect for companies to look at what are, uh, what are the, the, the social engagements that allow people to do the networking they need to do to be able to climb our corporate ladder. And I think that self-reflection to create a little bit more space for, for um, difference is, is important. That's so I can bring my whole self to the networking event and not have to smoke a stinky cigar. Yeah, and the problem with the cigar example that you gave or the, or the golf or whatever it happens to be is that in the interest of a few people bringing their whole selves to the event, the team is not bringing its whole self to the event. And what you have to ask yourself, what's more important? And if you're leading that team, I think what you really want is you want that team to bring its whole self. You're going to be a better team being more inclusive in that scenario. So what we're really saying in some way is that nobody, you can't have an effective team if everybody gets to bring their whole self, all the t- un- their whole unfiltered self all the time. It's impossible. There has to be some boundaries. There has to be some delineation of A, what's appropriate, what's not, and B, uh, what are the common things and experiences we can embrace as a team, um, which are, you know, it's, it's a, you know, we all have families. We all know that, like it's a negotiation, right? It's not a, and it's probably not a once and done because as a company or a team evolves, then there'll be, you know, new things that come up over time and the other things you can't, you know, it's just, it's just a, it's just a process, but nobody gets to bring their whole self to work. If we're going to be a highly aligned, high trust, high productive team where we embrace each other's humanity and we get stuff done, the stuff that we need to get done. Bringing my whole self to work doesn't mean I'm talking about the things I talk to my therapist about. Like I don't need to talk about that with everybody. There's, it's that appropriateness issue. I think, I think that's probably the real pushback or the real question mark that companies are having is how do you set the boundaries on what's appropriate to the situation? And, and not getting paralyzed in somebody overwhelming the conversation with their whole self. Yeah, and what an American conversation to have when our country was being founded, they were discussing this very thing. How much do we allow for personal liberty? And what limits do we have to put on personal liberty for the sake of the group? And that core issue has been with us and probably will stay with us because if you've ever been in a family or a group or a team, right, you've, you've dealt with this, <laughs> you've dealt with this. And the Christian way to frame it's a little different because we, you know, we over index on freedom and I want to be able to do whatever, which we now interpret to mean I can do whatever I want all the time, which is back to that, let it all hang out kind of authenticity. But the Christian way of thinking out about it is, um, there's at least two lenses. So one is what's loving, what's helpful to the people around me instead of me first, what's helpful to them. I know that that like sounds like an absolute heresy in our current and much of our culture in and outside Christianity, but it's, it's like, what's really helpful to the people around me. And the second thing that we like to talk about a lot here is what's wise. You're like, what's really wise. Um, yeah, you can say that, 
you can vent about your coworker, but is it wise? Is it loving to them? Is it loving to the person that's going to, and is it really wise? Because um, I think sometimes the loving part is a little harder to sell. I'm, 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 which it's really important actually, of course, but I'm also just saying like everything you say inside the context of that organization can and will be used against you. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's not, it's, it's not only not loving, it's also not wise. And it's, that's where, you know, Sarah, you talk a lot about companies defining appropriateness. I think that's, I think it's good. I think it's hard for them to do. Mm-hmm. And again, we're not, we don't, we don't actually know who's listening to this. Probably it's a mix of leaders and people who are followers or team members. Um, my, my passion is for the team member to realize that you still have agency over how much you say, and what you could disclose. And, you know, like you said, it's like, the stuff you tell your therapist is not what you tell even your cube mate or do so with extreme caution. All right. Well, bring your whole self to work. Overrated. Bring your appropriate self to work. That doesn't sound as cool though. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Thanks for listening. As we close this episode, I'm going to use the H word, help. First, help us help you. Do you want to grow in your effectiveness as a worker and a leader? Are you wondering if you're in the right job or career? Maybe you lead a team and wonder how to make that better. Go to vocacenter.org consult for an easy scheduling link and book your appointment with one of our great coaches today. We are ready to help you. Second, help us help others. This podcast is brought to you by generous donors who change lives by changing work through their investment in VOCA. If you like this content and want to partner with us to reach more workers, donate to VOCA. Go to vocacenter.org give and begin your partnership today. We'll see you next time on the VOCA podcast, where we help you build resilient faith at work.